Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, it's true. We are back. We are on the air on a semi-regular basis. Actually, we're getting pretty daggone regular, aren't we, Mark? I hope so. I hope so. We made it through the holidays. I'll tell you what. Uh, so grateful for our new executive producer, Mark Whitlock, who's really stepped up and uh, lined up some good guests. We're going to have a good conversation here in a little bit with a guy I've been waiting to talk to. And Mark finally just said, well, why don't we make it happen? That's and right. did. Yeah. Uh, Newton is not here. Newton, I know, ran a marathon this last weekend. I know he did because he ran it with my son. Down how about that? In Jacksonville, Florida. I don't know how Newton's doing, but my son could barely walk the next day. <laughs> he was hurting for certain. So, uh, But Newton will be back, won't he, next week or the uh, week after? In the, in the next couple of weeks, he's, he's working his schedule around to be able to be here with us for our recording times. I can't okay. wait for that. You can wish Newton a happy birthday. He just celebrated the big 4-0. Yes, yesterday. Absolutely. Uh-huh. So uh, give, give Newton a shout-out if you want to on the Facebook page and wish him a happy birthday. He wanted to get that marathon in before 40. Okay. And Mondo is out probably fighting a fire or doing something today. <laughs> I don't know. But we do have Aaron as uh, uh, the co-host with the most from the West Coast is joining us from San Luis Obispo, where um, did I hear you had the heater going out there? Yeah, uh, well, it always goes in my studio so that it doesn't freeze my equipment in here. Uh, But it's actually not too cold because it's been raining. Hey, how is that? I saw that on the news. (laughs) They're talking about torrential rainfalls of 1.3 inches. <laughs> it's it's pretty great. There was water in the creek yesterday. It oh. was amazing. I haven't seen water in the creek for a long, long time. Yeah. So, and there was actually thunder this morning. And I tell you, I've only heard thunder once in like the last fifteen years here. Really? So that was that was fun. Our dog was very insecure, but that was funny. So it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, the weather has been weird. We had uh, we had kind of almost Florida weather here over the Christmas break. I was in my T-shirt on Christmas Day out on the front porch. It was uh, it was nice. Although I understand we've got a polar vortex or whatever they call that thing these days coming coming to make life miserable. I think it is so strange. Uh, I I was talking to somebody from Franklin a couple weeks ago, and they asked about the drought because it had been on the news. Yeah, the California drought. Yeah. That is so, are we that hard up for news? Like the drought has affected us not at all. Oh, Everybody really? Everybody still behaves exactly the same way. <laughs> uh, I, have a th- I have a theory about weather forecasters. Weather forecasters, their number one job is to make us discontent. Uh-huh. So we're always dis- it's never it's never cold enough. It's never warm enough. We're always wanting the next weather front to come in, uh-huh. and then they roll the commercials. There you go. So I think, I think they are a tool of discontent. All right. I, I I do feel bad in our area because and Nate's been here. We have I think we have like eight to ten microclimates in our county because mm-hmm. we have the beach, but then we have hills and mountains and so the weather is never ever right. Maybe like fifteen percent of the time. So when I go to New York and people just have the weather on all the time because they need to know what's gonna be happening. And I think, well, why? It's not going to be accurate, right? And then it's actually what the weather people say. Blows, <laughs> blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so how was your holiday? We're, we're back from holiday. Uh, it, it was a nice time at the Larkin House. Uh, I, it was a great relief. It's a terrible thing to say, but it was a I'm not even going to say it. It that's too awful. I'm not even going to say it. All I'm I will say this. I don't have to drive to Grandpa and Grandma's house anymore. Ah. Because now we are Grandpa and Grandma. And people drive to our house and I get to stay home and uh and uh have a wonderful raucous time with the grandkids and at the end of the day they go home. It's beautiful. We had a great Christmas. I feel very blessed. How was it uh, with the Porter tribe? I, my daughter, uh, we knew uh, this would be her last. Uh, should, should I tell this story? I, please, it's tragic. I woke up <laughs> thinking about this this morning. <laughs> did you? <laughs> I really did. I don't know whether I dreamed about it or not, but I woke. Okay, tell the story. So we knew my daughter is 10, just turned 10 beginning of December, and we knew this would be the last year that she would believe in Santa Claus. And she loves Buddy the Elf, you know, that gets moved around all the time. If you don't know what that is, Google Mm -hmm. it. I won't explain it. 
But uh, Jenny and I were like, okay, and that we have one year to figure out how to start like breaking this tour because it's not going to work again. So <laughs> the Christmas Eve, we had got her this giant. She loves stuffed animal. We got her this giant giraffe. It's like five and a half feet tall. And I was taking it out of the van. Well, she's on her bunk bed in the upstairs room, and she sees me take it out of the van. And all oh. night she is thinking, in the morning, I will ask them if that was from Santa. If they say yes, I know they're liars. And so she doesn't sleep all night. Comes down, <laughs> 5.30 in the morning. The kids wake us up. Hey, Santa came, Santa came. And uh, immediately goes to my wife, takes her over the draft and said, did Santa bring this? And my wife says, yes, Santa must have known that you wanted this one. She goes into our bedroom, lays on the bed, and sobs for the next oh, 45 minutes. <laughs> then, she, then she comes out and says, Daddy, so Santa isn't real, but what about Buddy the Elf? <laughs> I look at her, and I'm like, honey, no. She goes back in the room. Sob All the other kids, the other three kids are waiting for Christmas to start while she is <laughs> sobbing in the back room. It was the most heartbreaking thing I've ever seen, which maybe note to parents, just stop lying to your kids. Maybe Santa is a bad idea. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so so there was a Christmas memory that will not be forgotten in the yeah. Porter household. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, Christmas for us was uh, very different. Uh, this was the first Christmas celebrated as a divorced dad. Yeah. And uh, so Christmas night... Um, Three of my four kids came over, and we shared a meal and played a board game and exchanged gifts. But uh, one of my kids chose not to come because of her anger and pain and fear of what she's walking through with this. And uh, that's rough. Yeah. that That's mm. rough and painful. And um, I long to see the long picture of that. What's that going to look like? Is God going to restore that relationship? Mm. I remember flipping through channels and seeing the movie uh, The Bucket List with yeah. uh, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. And there's the scene, and the sound was off. I was just flipping through, but there's a scene where um, uh, Morgan Freeman's character had been pushing Jack Nicholson's character to go see his granddaughter. He'd been estranged from his daughter for so long. And 30 seconds of flipping through trying to find something to watch, and I catch that scene, and... My heart broke because I just had to ask the question, is that going to be my story? Yeah. Lord, mm. please yeah. do not let that be my story. Yeah. So Christmas was very different for us, um, but there were sweet moments there. Yeah. And I had a friend encourage me to say, stop looking at all of the traditions that you've had for 25 years. Mm -hmm. And our traditions would take up two or three sheets of, of notebook paper Yeah, because we love Christmas at our house. And forge new ones. Yeah, and uh, I took that to heart. So hopefully that that'll be the case for us. But it was it was a rough it was a rough season, boy. And I'm sure you were not alone, Mark. It's a yeah. tough tough season for yeah. a lot of guys, and I'm sure, and women, a lot of people who listen to this podcast. And we're grateful that you've tuned in and that you're here, yeah. uh, no matter what Christmas you had. And, and join us this year. Subscribe um, and let, let us. Walk along with you on this path. Well, we will be right back uh, to talk a little bit about where our morning's interview with Eric Guzman is going. And uh, so we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk podcast. To the Pirate Monk Podcast here, our first podcast of 2016. Amazing. And we have a special guest this morning who is going to be talking a lot about gospel grace in light of addiction and in light of uh, maybe some of the ways that church makes uh, 
a new form of legalism, which is the to-do list. Here's five things to do this week. That's uh, become far more normal in the church in the last 20 years, maybe in the last 100 years. So uh, I kind of wanted to set this up, uh, Nate, talking a little bit about the way we focus on biblical truth and that truth is information-based often in the church. Mm-hmm. A right answer equals truth. Yeah. Divorced from the person or the, I even want to say, the emotion of the Father in heaven who is the fullness of that truth. So can I, as a Christian, have all the right answers but still not have truth because I, it, I haven't connected it to the oh, heart of the Father? Oh, baby. Preach it, Aaron Porter. I'm handing off to you. It's your preaching time. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, um, isn't that uh, just the the dilemma? I mean, how many of us grew up, uh, I grew up in a holiness tradition around uh, a lot of good people, some of whom really had grasped the spirit of the gospel, and they, uh, they knew grace and truth. And they were life-giving people to be around. But I was also in those churches around some other folks who just gotten hold of this idea of of, of intellectual correctness, but somehow truth mm-hmm. truth equaled doctrinal purity. Uh, and then it would go in other directions, and also political purity or rectitude that you had to be you had to have a, a you know uh, uh, or that truth equaled um, a right behavior. And it's amazing how, and Jesus certainly pointed this out during his ministry, it's amazing how uh, life-killing moral rectitude can be if it's divorced from grace. I'm surprised how this still pops up in my life, because I grew up in a dispensationalist brethren church. So... Uh, very different than your mm-hmm. upbringing, but a lot of crossover. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot of boxes. Dispensationalism has a lot of boxes that uh, God's gospel narrative fits into, mm-hmm. and it's very neat and organized. Um, and and I was thinking, okay, uh, I knew people that connected to God's heart. Like you could tell they were way into how God felt about them or felt, but often they didn't have much biblical, they didn't have verses to back up how they were thinking God was feeling. (laughs) And that always uh, offended me as a young person and scared me as a young pastor Yeah, because I needed to make sure that there was the the Bible verse attached to that, which isn't necessarily bad. So for my friends who are truth mongers, that just truth is their idol, correct Mm -hmm. words and phrasing is their idol. Uh, I think their fear is, oh, if we connect this too much to just the heart or the emotion, because we were way anti-emotion in my church growing up. Yeah. Uh, If we do that, then truth will be lost. Mm -hmm. And so I hope this morning, as people are listening to this interview, that they can look into their own heart and where they're at on that journey and to know that number one, my information will never be correct this side of the grave. My best doctrines are so wrong. Yes. Or if God, yeah, if, if certainly God not was, complete. No. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, and in, in in being incomplete, it's wrong. Yes. If I have this, I have to be correct. I joke in sermons often that if God was sitting in a chair behind me, listening to me talk about eternal truths, he'd be <laughs> laughing the entire time. Like, come on, you really think God would be back there going like, exact, that's how I would have said it? No. it's, it's Aaron, it's are incomplete. you suggesting that there is not an entrance exam, a theology exam, an entrance exam to heaven? <laughs> Uh-oh. I, I'm not suggesting it, I'm declaring it. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I don't have to be afraid of getting wrong answers. What I need to be afraid of is missing the relationship with my Abba that's offered through Jesus Christ. And I think that's what Eric's talking about this morning. Yeah. Well, let's get to that interview. We'll be back here in just a minute. And here's one of Steve Brown's You Think About That short features to bridge us over to the gap. Oh, okay. Super. 
a famous violinist, was asked why his music was so magnificent. He said, I never play until my own soul is thrilled. And then the music is an expression of my soul. That's what ought to happen with Christians, but we fake it too much. I have a friend who told me that at his church they put lemon juice in the communion cups so people would look holy. Go to Jesus and just sit there and tell his joy, freedom, and love get into your soul. And then go play your music for the world. Too many people go to Jesus and leave as soon as they get saved. They should stick around a little longer, then their music wouldn't be so sour. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. And welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Boy, I have waited a long time for this conversation. Uh, our guest today is a guy whose material we have read on the podcast in the past. In fact, I've promised our listeners that we'd have him on, and, and it, it's taken, I think, more than a year to honor that promise. But finally, he's here, Eric Guzman from uh, the Key Life Network, one of my favorite people in the world. Hey, Eric, thanks for joining us. Hey, Nate, thanks for having me on. Now, Eric, you, uh, in addition, you are executive producer down there, aren't you, of the... Uh, uh, Steve Brown, etc., and you're in the upper echelons of the Key Life International Organization. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like 10, 11 of us. And, uh, <laughs> I just manage the content stuff. You know, I, I manage the the recordings and what goes on the website, and so uh, on the radio a little bit, do some writing, yeah, kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. So should we uh, should we explain or have Erica Guzman explain what Key Life is because you know, there might be people not as savvy as you and I, Nate. Oh, okay. It's possible. Who know everything about everything. Key life is all about the message that God's not mad at you. Yeah. We believe that the core message of the Bible and Jesus' ministry is the message of grace, radical grace, to sinners and sufferers. And our mission is to get you and those you love home with radical freedom, infectious joy, and surprising faithfulness to Christ. Oh, say wait, say that again. That sounded like you've said that before. Do it again, but a little slower. I was inspired. Basically, we're we're about the the message. It puts simply that God's not mad at you. If you want to expand on that a little bit, it's the idea that we believe that the message of the Bible and Jesus' ministry is the radical grace of God to sinners and sufferers. That's the heart of the message. And, and the goal, as we communicate that message, is to get you and those you love home with radical freedom, infectious joy, and surprising faithfulness to Christ as your crowning achievement. That's awesome. And so uh, for 25, 30 years, Key Life has been here primarily to support Steve Brown's work. Steve Brown's an author and seminary professor and former pastor and uh, He's on the radio with a talk show and with his 15-minute teaching program that's called Key Life, and he does these little one-minute features called You Think About That. Maybe you've heard those. And uh, so, But what we're doing now is he's sharing Key Life with the rest of us, other people that are communicating a similar message, and that's what's going on at keylife.org. So uh, you can expect lots of blog posts and videos and radio programs, podcasts, things like that. But it's, it's all about this message that God's not mad at you. So how did you get involved with this? What's, what's your thumbnail story? Well, uh, I actually came kicking and screaming into this about 18 years ago. I, I was working at a local radio station, and I had just actually uh, quit my job. I put in two weeks because I was going to back, go back to school and get my MBA. And uh, Steve Brown and the president of Key Life at the time, or vice president of Key Life at the time, he, uh, th- they had lunch with the general manager of the radio station, and uh, they were looking for a guy to produce the talk show, Steve Brown, etc. And the, the general manager goes, well, I, I got this guy who I, I think might fit. So they walked into my studio and said, you know, I, I had no idea they were coming, just unannounced. They, they said, hey, let us hear your stuff. And you know, at the time, I was, I was very legalistic. And, you know, Steve Brown smokes a pipe, and he smells like it. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I, was like, I was offended by this guy. <laughs> and uh, I, I just thought, no way that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with this, this man. I think he was sent 
by the devil to distract me from my goal in life, which was to get an MBA <laughs> and, and, get, and get out of radio. You know, I was making no money. You know, the old joke, uh, what's the difference between uh, a disc jockey and a pizza? Well, a pizza could feed a family of three, you know? <laughs> That's right. And uh, been there. I, I just, I, I wanted to get out, but you know, he just, um, he, he kept, he kept after me. He's like, well, let's go to lunch. And then he'd call me and he's like, I was just praying and God told me you're supposed to work for me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, get out of here. You try. And then he'd go, this is how much we'll pay you. And I'm like, hmm, well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how I ended up here. And, you know, 18 years later, uh, overseeing the content that we create at keylife.org and you know, on the radio as well. Well, um, what I really uh, find so attractive about you, Eric, is not your appearance, uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. What what I love, man, is the fact that you have at this point so internalized the gospel, and I got to believe that that's come from being immersed for this many years in guys who really get the essence of the gospel. Uh, yeah. Um, that I don't really find. Uh, I don't hear uh, pretense when I'm around you. You are authentic in ways that can even at times make me uncomfortable, and I'm known for being an authentic guy. Yeah, well, it makes me uncomfortable too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I tell you, it, it is because of Steve. I, I joke that working here at Key Life was God's trick to get me to hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. You know, he got me in with a fun radio show and a decent paycheck, and then year after year after year hearing Steve teach and talk about the essence of Jesus' message to us, it, it has become air and water to me. I wouldn't survive without it. I certainly wouldn't be in Christian ministry. So that was really high praise from Nate about your uh, guileless nature. Uh, so give me, uh, I'm curious, what was the path to you becoming a person that could speak with authenticity uh to so many people. How did you get there? Because there's a lot of guys that are at the beginning of the journey and they're still hedging their bets in their language and how they speak and how they present themselves. So how did you get to this point where Nate would say that about you? Or were you always like that? No, no, I wasn't like that. And I'm still a liar. I lie to myself. I hide. I love it. Uh, and <laughs> I, I, I want you to think well of me. I, you know, I, when I write, I'll tell you this much truth. Um, but uh, if you knew the real dirty details, I'd be so scared that you'd reject me. And so, um, you know, that that's still there. Uh, but what you do here is the freedom that I've been giving, given by Steve over the years mm -hmm. is, um, you know, I, I've told him this stuff. I mean, he knows and and he's not rejected me. He's not fired me. I don't think there's been another there. There's another Christian ministry in existence that would have, would have had me uh, for <laughs> as long as I've been here. And it's as I've walked with Steve, he's really mentored me. He's not just told me about this. That he's not just communicated this message of God's love. Yeah. He's embodied it. Yeah. You know, he's incarnated it. Yeah. Well, and I I think it it comes to listeners that are still in those early stages, I would be curious, I guess, two things. First, the first time you recall being truly and profoundly surprised by gospel grace uh, that attacked that legalism and began to erode it, and then what kind of transformation comes from that? Because you say you're you're the sinner and broken person. You need to be that person for others to see. And the legalists in that are listening would say, yeah, but what about transformation? Are, are you never getting better? That's what the gospel promises, that uh, you'll come to grace and only then be a sinner and broken person for the rest of your life. How would you respond to you listening to you 20 years ago? Oh, yeah, I would, I would be terrified of me. 20 years ago, who I am now, I, oh, I would just, oh my gosh, look at that guy. He's just lost it. He's backslidden. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I would, I would have been offended, but I think, you know, there's two questions there. I think you, you asked, when did I first get it? And then, uh, the other part is what would I say to people who, who say you should be getting better? And, um, I, I'm sorry, but I, 
often, you know, Steve says that he can't think a thought without quoting scripture. I often can't think a thought without quoting Steve. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, Steve says that the only people who get any better are people who know that if they never get any better, God's going to love them anyway. And uh, there's another part to that is uh, a lot of the times the reason we're not getting better is because we're so obsessed with getting better. And so I think the holiness and the sanctification and all of that is a side benefit of something else. And that something else is walking in union with God, uh, enjoying his unconditional love, uh, enjoying all of the things that Jesus worked so hard for and suffered for, not only on the cross, but also by living a perfect life for us. I mean, that is my righteousness, is his, given to me, yes. imputed to me, not only forgiven, but perfect. I mean, he's, he's at the end of the journey and has completed it and gave all that to me. And so what Steve talks about is obsess on that, obsess on that. Instead of obsessing on your sin, obsess on his love and you will get better. But the point isn't getting better. You, once you start down that road, that's a road that leads to um, this uh, selfishness and self-righteousness, and often we just get stuck. And so um, I, can, I can tell you I am better than I was 18 years ago when Steve walked into that studio. And I assume that I'm better in ways that I don't know that I'm better. <laughs> um, and I'm thankful for that because if I knew all the ways that I was better, I'd be self-righteous. Yeah. And Eric, I love all that you've said here about, um, about transformation and what God does in our lives and, and, and pulling ourselves back and seeing the things that, that God is doing. But there's another side of that coin, and you've talked about this, you've written about this. There are times when I look and I see and I'm like, okay, God, I believe that you're good, but I don't know if you're being good to me. And I get angry at him. And you yeah. wrote recently that uh, your anger at God is strangely comforting. Uh, I've been on a long road. I've, I've gone into counseling and uh, struggled with a lot of stuff and multiple counselors and you know, uh, spiritual advisors and, and, and things like that. Um, and and that, that's, that's been a long road. But what got me in there was Steve's offer of, of freedom that um, I, I don't hold on to God, but he holds on to me. And there was something about that that uh, allowed me to express some things that I didn't even understand at the point. I mean, I know now after all that counseling stuff that I've got bipolar disorder and I've struggled, you know, it's just, I could go into a big long list of things, but I was you know, very, very angry. And I would go into these fits of, uh, of, of rage. And when Steve offered me the, the freedom that, that, that God would love me no matter what, I remember one time out in the woods just yelling and screaming at God. So I had that freedom to, to say those things. And then um, he didn't strike me down. You know, the life didn't fall apart. Uh, I still sensed that uh, he was listening, he was there, and he was present, and he was loving me. And, and that wasn't the first time that I went into you know, one of those fits. And, and I do believe that a lot of that comes from my screwed up brain chemistry or you know, whatever's going on inside my head with this bipolar thing. But, um, but what that says to me is, is, one, I wouldn't be angry at God if I didn't really believe that he's there and that he's in control, that he could do something about you know, what I'm raging about. So that's a comfort to me. I, I really believe, and I've struggled a lot with doubt, but, but when I get angry like that and it's directed at him, you don't get angry at an imaginary person. <laughs> you know, that's, so my faith is very, very real in that moment of, of honest expression. Okay? But, but more than that, the freedom to, to, to speak those things and then uh, believe that I'm not going to be rejected by him and then to see the evidence afterwards that I am still blessed, that he still works in my life and in ministry and, and the, in my family, and, and, and that he, he, hasn't, he doesn't you know, write me off, you know, then I see, wow, not only do I believe that he loves me and that he's in control, that he's real, or not only do I see that he's, that he's in control and that he's real, but I see that he loves me unconditionally. And that's this incredible faith in the gospel that, that doesn't come from me. At my, you know, what's coming in, out of me is, is all this rage and messed up you know, ways of dealing with it, but what's coming from him 
is, is this love. So that's where I find it, it comforting. I see his sovereignty and his love in the ability to be honest with him and, and to let it all out. If I couldn't, if I couldn't be honest with him, I would, uh, I would go back into that isolation and in that darkness, all the nasty things in my life fester, all the other ways that I go to comfort myself, you know, become so much more attractive, you know, but when, when I, when I'm able to let that all out, then I can be comforted by him instead of the, you know, a substance or some other behavior. And, um, and that's opened the door to, to real communion and incremental change. Well, that's really good, Eric. You know, as I look back on, on my journey in recovery, um, I understand that in the beginning I was completely obsessed with changing my outward behavior. And I really felt that if I could just, you know, get, my, get a handle on this sexual stuff, that that really is all that was uh, off and that I'd be fine if I could just fix that. So it turns out I was a lot sicker than I knew. Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, when I look at my life today, uh, and I think one of the things that Jesus indicted the Pharisees for, and, in, and the Spirit of God indicts every legalist for, is that uh, the, the Pharisees counted the wrong things. Um, and they were blind to their sin, especially relational sin. If I look at my life today, um, a lot, I still struggle with compulsive behavior. One of the things that's different, though, are the, is the quality of the relationships that I have these days with people, with my wife, with my kids, with friends, uh, with brothers in the Samson Society. A whole lot less pretense, a whole lot more authentic substance and real closeness of the kind I think Jesus came to reestablish. Um, how have your relationships evolved? Family life, work life, your, your, your style in the office, your style at home, how have those changed for you, Eric? So much more relaxed that without the constant attention to myself that I can, I can relax, I can trust that I'm going to be accepted and loved by God and uh, even if others might reject me, uh, so I can relax, I can maybe tell the truth a little more, and then I can also, by not looking at myself, start to look up and out to other people and yeah. uh, to even see, oh, this is what, what they're going through, and, and not to judge them, but to have compassion on them because you know I've been forgiven much, yeah. see that. And so then what Jesus talked about is, he who has been forgiven much loves much. So it, the, the, the inward, you know, navel-gazing, the, the, the implosion of constant attention to self and my behavior, I start to relax, and then I start to look outward and, and start to have the opportunity to uh, be compassionate for others and, and the way that they hurt me because of their brokenness and, and then express love to them. So I end up loving the way that I've been loved. And, and that's, and, and that's, uh, you know, and, and I think it speaks to something, um, you know, uh, have you heard of the book, uh, chasing the scream, the first and last days of the war on drugs. There was a Ted talk going around. Johan Hari, I think is how you pronounce his name. He quoted this professor. And, uh, would you mind if I read something that he, Oh, please do that he wrote. Okay. He says, um, you know, about addiction, uh, maybe we shouldn't even call it addiction. Maybe we should call it bonding. Mm. Human beings have a natural and innate need to bond. And when we're happy and healthy, we'll bond and connect with each other. But if you can't do that because you're traumatized or isolated or beaten down by life, or and I would add, or really, really uh, self-conscious and religious and absorbed with your, uh, your, <laughs> your righteousness, you know, if you can't, you, you will bond with something that will give some sense of relief. Yes. Now that might be gambling, that might be pornography, that might be cocaine, that might be cannabis, but you will bond and connect with something because that's our nature. That's what we want as human beings. So Nate, like when you talked about what goes on with the Samson society and the openness and that honesty that happens, um, I, I think that's what we're longing for. I mean, that, that's what we're longing for from God. Yes. To, to be uh, known, to know him and to be known and, and to have him 
and we know that he knows us as we are, but to really see, okay, he sees all of it and loves us unconditionally. So there's that communion with him, but then also there's uh, the people that are made in his image. Like, how do we really commune with him? Well, you know, like scripture talks about, you, you, um, you, can't, you can't hate somebody who's created in God's image and then say you love him. Yes. You know, you, because he, this is somebody who's created in, in God's image. If you're not loving them, then you can't say that you're loving God. So I, I think of this, um, you know, recovery or, you know, getting better or, you know, however you want to put it as um, dwelling in that connection. Yes. In, in the acceptance, the openness, the honesty, the relaxation, that relief, and then to get the thing that we want the most is connection with God. And that, that is, there's that spiritual aspect of his spirit living within us. But then there's also that material thing that happens, um, you know, when we are compassionate to each other, when we do express in, uh, love to each other and receive love from, from others, even though they see how jacked up we are. Yes. You know, then, you know, we're starting to get to the heart of what we long for, that connection, that communion. And if you don't have that, and I think religion can get in the way of us having that, if you don't have that, then all that's left is the false gods. Yeah. All that's left are the other comforters, yes. those other things that you go to when you're isolated and alone, because we're looking for relationship. And, um, and so, uh, and, and I'm not saying I'm there, but what I'm saying is I see more and more and more of that uh, in, in my family, in my relationships with my friends, you know, in... Um, it's hard in church. I'll tell you that, <laughs> uh, it's easier here at key life. You know, that, that's just how I see it playing out. Boy, Eric, I really take your point about bonding. And now that you mentioned that I have heard that quote, I do know that for me, nothing takes, uh, the fire out of, uh, a destructive compulsion, like an honest, personal, compassionate connection with another person. I don't have big battles with temptation coming home from a Samson meeting mm. or after a good conversation with my wife or after having spent quality time with another guy or with one of my children. It's when I isolate, it's when yeah. I get sideways with people that those um, temptations really gain strength. And that's why I'm so grateful. You know, I, uh, Back when I was in seminary, I was a preaching major and uh it, and and, a, and learned to preach to the gods of style and the school that i went to didn't have much regard for billy graham mm. the most you know right. <laughs> effective <laughs> and you know prolific preacher on the planet and and the way they dissed him was they said billy graham only has one sermon <laughs> and uh you know, one of the, and that's one of the reasons I love Billy Graham. It's one of the reasons I love Steve Brown. Steve Brown really only has one sermon. And, um, and it's like getting a hit of oxygen every time I hear the gospel from uh, somebody who's been around, Steve. When I hear you talk, Eric, uh, something strikes me. I was in a coffee shop talking with a guy a couple weeks ago. And to to illustrate my frustration with... Our gospel presentation, uh, there was a little kid about six years old sitting next to me, and his dad was up at the counter ordering, so I felt at total liberty to engage in a conversation with a strange child who wouldn't be protected by an adult. So I, I asked this little kid, I was like, hey, uh, fill in the blank for me, kid. Jesus died on the cross for my... And the kid looked really uncomfortable, like he's not supposed to talk to a stranger, but then he was so excited he had the answer. He had to engage with me. And he said, my sins. I said, thank you very much. And I looked back at the guy I was meeting with and said, how is it that sin has become the foundation of our gospel message? Did Jesus die on the cross for my sin? Yeah, definitely. But then that got taken care of immediately, and the rest is about new life. Oh. and about freedom, and about transformation, and yet the only answer I have to Jesus died on the cross for my is sin. So when you're talking, I hear a lot of that trying to pull people out of the sin-focused gospel into a life-giving gospel. Yeah. Can you touch on that a little bit more? I think that's really important, and you know, I'm not going to minimize what he did for us on the cross in forgiveness at all, but the way I read the scripture, it says, We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 
and it, it says that um, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, and then having been reconciled by his death, how much more will we be saved by his life? And so the life part is the part that doesn't, like you said, get a lot of focus. I mean, I think that's the imputation part. That's the Holy Spirit within us. That's the the thing, that the dynamic relationship uh, as you're really welcomed into uh, the Trinity, this relationship that has always gone on between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, that being saved by his life, that's where, yes, I want to say you are reconciled. Absolutely, the cross reconciles his enemies while we were yet sinners. But now we're, we're walking forward saved by his life, and that's a, a, a union with him that can't be broken. And so often what we're scared of is that we're going to grieve the Spirit and that he's going to leave us. And, um, mm. and that's not reconciliation. I mean, recon- when I think about reconciliation, I think about um, Jesus coming and saying, Look, I'm he, or like, you know, I'm, he's God. He's also fully man. And so what I see in him is a union of the creator with his creation. That's, that's extreme reconciliation, a oneness with, with what he made. And Jesus did that perfectly, restored what was broken in the past. And then the dynamic of that relationship and that life within us is is the thing that's so exciting to to walk in that that uh, like we say there's radical freedom in that then there's infectious joy the joy of the Lord is our strength and then hey surprising faithfulness the faithfulness isn't, isn't the point but it it'll surprise you it happens I read this book I can't remember the full name of the guy who wrote it but um there's a book called Delighting in the Trinity Reeves is his last name. Like that is a mind-blowing book when you when you think about you know again we talked about what we want is connection and communion um, when when you think about what's what's offered to us in reconciliation is the the entrance into the life of the Trinity the delight that's in in that relationship that there's the the Spirit within us the Spirit of God Himself within us one with us. That uh, and the the spirit of Jesus, you know, and cries out, "Abba, Father, Daddy," and and then to see the Father's gaze back on you with complete love, as just as He looks at Jesus in this love and uh, and, and acceptance that's been for all of eternity past and all of eternity future, um, that this, this dynamic relationship, um, that's that's reconciliation, and that that man. There ain't no way that that's not going to change you if that's the way you look at reality and the way that you look at your life. Yeah, I want a life that's marked by reconciliation and marked by delight. And yet there are times throughout uh, my my walk with Christ that the church has gotten in the way. What are some things that modern-day church does that impede the sense of reconciliation, the sense of delight, and what can I do there sitting uh, in the congregation or talking to friends or in my small group, what can I do to be an agent of reconciliation and delight? When, when people give you the list of things to do, mm-hmm. what, as well-intentioned as that is, that puts it back on you to somehow hold on to him instead of knowing that he's holding on to you, instead of assuring you that this reconciliation has happened. So what, what I love to see in church is when, uh, and I think the, the liturgy has been very, very attractive to me because of this, because it always comes to, we're going to take communion and we're going to talk about this reconciliation. You know, we're going we're gonna to go to Jesus and we're going to uh, gonna drink and eat and uh, he's going to become, uh, or, or we're going to be reminded that we're, we're one with him. You know, you are what you eat kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I think liturgy really helps me keep this focus. But what, what I love from the sermon in a, in a church is when they say, here's the, here's the standard. Here's the, here's the stuff that, that you should be doing. And Jesus just cranks it up and cranks it up and cranks it up. You shouldn't even look at a woman with lust. If you do, then you, you've committed adultery. You know, uh, 
you're angry, you've committed murder. I mean, just like cranking it up, cranking up the, the law, you know, the, the, this is the standard. But then to say, now that's the standard. Here's the one who has fulfilled the standard and given all of his righteousness to you. End of sermon. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I love to hear because that trusts that that, I think of it as like crazy upside down Jesus world. That message that calls sinners saints, that's the word that creates faith. That's the word that says, yes, in me, I want that. I want that. And then it, that, leaving it at that without giving the list of to-dos, it allows the Holy Spirit to respond within you the way that he's going to respond to have that life of God work out in you in the fruits of the Spirit. And um, so in churches, when it gets really topical and it gets really, uh, you know, here's, here's your list, you know, to go and work on this this week, I get that it's well-intentioned, but week after week after week, it makes people feel deficient, I think. Mm. And um, I, I, liked, I like to hear the message of the gospel every week. I know I'm a sinner. I know what I should be doing. Come on. <laughs> I've, I've heard it all these years, you know, but... To, to hear that comfort, you know, now, now go in peace, go in peace Yeah. at, at the end. And, and that peace is the, 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 and then receiving that love for him. We love him because he first loved us and love fulfills the law. It just does it. You're, you're, you trust it. You know, that's what I want to see in a church service. Beautiful. Well, I think that is a great spot to, uh, to leave our listeners in this conversation. Because you just uh, finished the sermon, didn't you? Hey, uh, <laughs> yeah. hey, Eric, um, I'm sure that our listeners are going to want to uh, connect with you and uh, read some more of your stuff. Uh, where would you send them? Uh, give, us, uh, oh. g- give us the web address of your blog, and then uh, where should they go for Key Life? Yeah, I, all the same place. I've stopped my independent blogging at this point um, since Steve is sharing the Key Life site with us. Uh, you can just go to keylife.org and click on authors and then scroll down and you'll see various authors there. I'm among them. And then you can click the link and, and see some of the the blog posts and whatnot. And we'll be linking to all of Eric's stuff at the notes. So at piratemonkpodcast.com, you can come to the Facebook page and click on the show notes Okay, and you can get a link directly to uh, Eric's book, The Seed, that's coming out. Uh, all of the articles that he has on addiction uh, and the Christian life uh, at Key Life there. Also, I'll have a link to the book that he mentioned, uh, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, and a link to that TED Talk he mentioned oh, as yeah. well. I have a little mini book coming out in March that's based on my blog post series. Uh, it started out with a post called Drunk Believers, and, um, the, and then there were a number of posts, but um, New Growth Press is publishing a mini book based on that blog series where it's all in one place, and it's called The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain. And um, I think with the focus that you guys have here, that, that there'd probably be some people that would, would dig on that. Fantastic. And we'll make sure to let our listeners and our uh, Facebook friends know that as well when that comes out. Give our best to the whole team there at Key Life. It's a great bunch. Uh, I like the guys I work with. I'm also envious. You, get a, you, got a, you, you, go to a, you go to work at a great place, man. I know. It's, like I say, it's really been life to me. I hate to think. You know, I feel like God tricks you into some things for your own good. I think you don't know what you're getting into when you decide, hey, I'm going to marry that girl. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Hey, I know what I, I know what I'm going to do. Let's have kids. Okay. You know, Hey, uh, you know, say yes to that, that crazy old guy, Steve Brown and, and go work for him. I mean, you, you just don't know what you're getting into. And it's, and a lot of times it is really, really hard, but man, those, those God's tricks are, are delightful when you give them enough time. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you, Eric. Thank you, guys. I so appreciate you inviting me to come on. I, I can't tell you what a big encouragement that is. And also, Nate, I really, really appreciate what uh, you, you wrote in, uh, on the book. Thank you for the endorsement on that. That really means a lot to me. All right. And we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. You know something? I'm only myself around people who love me. If I'm going to cuss and spit and be a pain, it'll be around my wife, my staff, and my close friends. They love me. 
and they don't believe when I make a fool of myself that I've done a permanent job. In fact, there's a direct correlation between realness and love. You'll only be real around those who love you and then only to the degree to which they love you. Do you know how God makes us real? Listen up. He loves us into realness. When you go to God, don't fake it. You don't have to. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. And we're, we're back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. But I, I wish that you guys had been with me uh, the last couple times I was down in Orlando and got to just be in that building with those guys. Uh, it's just a reminder of, of how sweet the gospel is uh, and how much freedom and joy there is where the gospel is really let loose. Is, is Steve really as awesome as Eric's? I mean, come on, I'm, I'm suspicious of Steve now. Is he a cult leader? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I love the guy, and he has what may be the greatest voice in radio. Absolutely. Uh, which he attributes to his smoking. So, (laughs) Him him and Tom Waits. Yeah. Uh, And also, uh, he has a knack for the the provocative book title. I like... like, uh, Three Free Sins. Three Free Sins, man. (laughs) Uh, Well, we hope that you guys have enjoyed today's uh, conversation with Eric and that it has stimulated your uh, gospeliciousness in new and surprising ways. And as we get started here in 2016, we'd love for you to take a survey. We want to make this show uh, even better and richer for you. So if you come, hit piratedmonkpodcast.com or hit click on the show notes on the Facebook page and take a short survey, just take you a few minutes and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, you'll also see if you come to uh, piratedmonkpodcast.com on the right-hand side of the page, this thing says, leave us a voicemail. And so you can leave us a comment there. You can comment on the Facebook page. And then you can also send us an email, right? Right, sure, at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. So until episode 166, I'm Mark. Aaron. And I'm Nate. And uh, we're your friends here at the Pirate Monk. Yeah. You happy with that close? Oh, that why end? not? Okay. Go on, right. Mr. Rogers. Okay. <laughs>